You're listening to the Centre Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message, recorded live from our Brighton campus. So this morning, I've titled the message, Living Now and Not Yet. Living Now and Not Yet. And so we're we're in our Colossians series, and just to recap where we've kind of been, we... Colossians is written to the church in Colossae by Paul and um, he's addressing some of these issues um, that are going on in the church, some false teachings which are kind of on both sides so that the one side is um, is saying you can do whatever you like in the flesh, it doesn't really matter um, because everything's kind of spiritual anyway and then on the other side we've got this whole concept of... of um, heavy law kind of Judaism um, and that kind of side of things as well. So that's what's that's what's going on in the church and, and they didn't have the New Testament in the way that we have it now. So Paul was having to write to them to kind of address these things and say, I've got to set you straight in these things, otherwise you're going to kind of veer off too far, um, too far on the wrong path. Um, and so a couple of weeks ago, Tyler talked about how it's all about Jesus, how a lot of this and what a lot of this letter is saying is is Christ is supreme, that you may think that there are kind of other things out there that's that kind of come close, but nothing comes close. He's the firstborn over all creation. All that kind of stuff is is where we find ourselves in this letter. And then last week when Tyler preached, he talked about how Christ is all and in all. And so we then live right as a response. So the way that we live out our lives is as a response to who Jesus is. So it matters kind of how we live here and now. So we have our text, which hopefully will be the next slide, if I've organized myself correctly. don't know how clear it is, but have a listen. So Colossians 3, verses 18 to 4, verse 1, says, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as it is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eyes on you, and to curry their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favouritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. It's kind of really fun passage for us to to dig into this morning. Um, So we're going to do it. Do you remember, does anyone remember June the 5th, 1989? You go on to the next slide. June the 5th, 1989. Do you remember that? I was three, so 
not massively. Um, I don't remember it very well. Um, this is, the, you see the guy down there at the bottom left? Um, he's, he's kind of colloquially known as Tank Man. No one really knows his name, but he is, um, he's the subject of a very powerful image. And this is in China in 1989, a place called Tiananmen Square. And what had happened is, is there was some process against the kind of the Chinese regime and these mostly students were protesting. Um, and the government sent in the tanks to kind of clear the square. And that was, and then this is kind of the day after. And this man was standing in the road blocking the tanks. And as the tanks moved the le to the left to get around him, he stepped to the left. As they moved to the right, he stepped to the right. And so the tanks couldn't get past. Obviously, they could run him over if they wanted to, but they weren't going to do that. See, he was he was the unidentified protester, which you find the picture funny. <laughs> it really happened, and so he was stand. What he was doing though was he was standing against a culture and a regime that wasn't right. Or you might be more aware or more familiar with the story that Jesus told. Um, when he, on the Sermon on the Mount, he said, someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer them the left also. The left? So someone slaps you on the one cheek, offer them the other one. Anyway, turn the other cheek. So, Isaac, can you come up and demonstrate for me? I've been waiting for this for a long time. Can you, honestly, can you come up and demonstrate? Just, uh, Right. So, if it's, it would be me slapping Isaac on the left cheek. That's how it would work, right? No, you're facing me. Right cheek. It will be, it does matter, and I'll explain why. It's the right cheek. The right cheek, okay. So if I go to slap Isaac on the right cheek, and he falls to the ground with the power of my slap, um, if he turns the other cheek to me, it presents me with a problem. And I'll explain why it presents me with a problem. I can either slap him with the outside of my left hand like this, like a kind of backhander. And this, this conveys a message. So if I slap someone like this, it conveys a message. You are nothing to me. You are below me. You are, you know, scum and it's kind of that thing that a master would do to a slave is to you know behave yourself sort yourself out get yourself aligned if he turns the other cheek to me i have two options don't i i can slap him with this hand like this so left hand backhander or i can slap him with an open-faced right hander and those present me with two problems because in the jewish context my left hand was my unclean hand. And so my left hand, culturally, if I slapped him with this hand, would draw me down, right? It'd draw me down to his level culturally, and it would be a kind of 
um, it would be kind of him standing up to me, him protesting me, slapping him. Because this hand was reserved for the unclean things in life without make, putting too fine a point on it. I'm sure you all know kind of what I mean. Um, so then my only other option to, to remain my, to, to kind of keep my standing as a good um, kind of Jewish man, my only other option would be a full-faced right hand slap on the right cheek like that. You can sit down now. Cheers. Um, if I was to slap him like that with an open-faced hand, that's bringing him up to my position and my social status because he all of a sudden <laughs> all of a sudden he is now at my level culturally okay so he stands up to me and i have an option i can either bring myself down or i can bring him up but what i can't do is continue to slap him down with the back hand of my right hand like to say you are you are nothing you're worthless kind of in a similar way to Tankman in Tiananmen Square stands up to a cultural norm that is actually wrong and that actually needs standing against and you create a new culture you do something that's countercultural you do something that's what i call kingdom cultural you might think, well, how does this all fit in with our, with our passage that we've been reading? It will, and we'll get there. So just trust me on this. So we're talking about living now and not yet. And we're talking about kingdom culture. Now there's a quote, and I think the quote might be the next slide. I'm hoping so. Um, and it's really small, and I'm sorry about that. Um, but it's a quote by a guy called Stanley Halvas. He says, to be a Christian does not mean that we are to change the world, but rather that we must live as witnesses to the world that God has changed. We should not be surprised, therefore, if the way we live makes the change visible. What he's saying is we're not called to change the world, but to be witnesses to the world that God has changed. And it shouldn't be surprising to us if the way that we live makes that change visible, if people see Jesus in us. There's another quote by the film, from the film Gladiator. It's a couple of um, ones down. Um, it puts it in kind of easier words. It says, what we do in life echoes in eternity what we do in life echoes in eternity can you go up then to the previous one i put them out of order so i'm sorry about that basically when we talk about kingdom culture when we talk about living now and living not yet we find ourselves in a certain place i'm going to grab this because i know it's got a laser pen on it i think Does it have a laser on it? No, apparently not. I thought it had a laser. Anyway, I was going to point to the screen and be all fancy. Point, a pointy stick. I need one of those um, lecturers kind of like sticks to point. Right. Can you see on this diagram, right in the middle, 
it says already slash not yet kingdom. Can you see that? Kind of the middle section, right in the middle, right in the middle there. Okay. Think of that as where we live now, right? And I'll explain. You have a line that goes along the bottom. That's normally called the present age. Paul calls it the present evil age, right? And this kind of represents everything from creation until the second coming of Christ. Partway down, partway along, we have a vertical line that says Jesus Christ above it and says the word begun below it. That represents Jesus coming, his death, his resurrection, the what we sometimes call the Christ event. See, what happens at that point is that the world is changed. The world is transformed in Christ. And we experience that in some ways, don't we, through the Spirit of God. We experience a world which God has changed and God has transformed. But we recognize that on some level, we still live in the old system. We still live in the old way of things. But we recognize that God is on the throne. We recognize that the kingdom of God, as Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand. So we recognize that that's happened. And that has happened in Christ. And then as you go along, you see a second line. It says, Christ's return. See, we believe that Christ is coming again. We believe that there's a second coming. And at that point is when the present age dies and the kingdom of God runs into eternity. The problem that we have is that we live in the tension in the middle. We live in the, the, the middle square of that diagram. We live in what they call the now and not yet. So they live in the tension of the now in anticipation of what is to come. I don't know if you can kind of relate to that in, in your own life or your own experience. But this kind of underpins a lot of what Paul says and a lot of his, his letters is that we somehow live in the tension of not yet in the reality of now. And so that's sometimes difficult for us to to deal with because we we kind of expecting you know God's God's kingdom's here we we you know we sing to him we experience his presence among us but then we you know we have a bad day or you know something bad happens and you know we kind of go well this this doesn't seem to fully align up with with God's presence being here and all all that kind of goes along with that but what Paul says in a lot of this is how you live today matters because we live as witnesses to the world that God's changed. We live as people of the future. We live as people who are on that top line. People who are part of the kingdom of God. And we have a duty to let the people who are part of the present age know that there's a different way. There's a different path and God's doing a new thing. And so it's into that context that Paul writes this letter. And it's into that context that Paul talks about roles within the family and the household. So that, so we're going to talk about kingdom culture in three pairs. 
three pairs of kingdom culture. And the first one is wives and husbands. Now, this is an area that, admittedly, I have a lot of experience. Uh, not, not really. Um, but I think the reality of what Paul's saying is clear if we look at it from a bigger picture perspective of what he's talking about, um, kind of eschatologically, or perhaps an easier way of saying that, um, what he's what he's talking about in the bigger picture of how the world is and how the kingdom of God exists. So Paul says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord, and husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. So I thought, let's talk about wives and husbands in the first century. That's where we are in this letter. That's what's going on. See, why the, the phrase, wives, submit to your husbands, was kind of expected. Culturally, this is what everyone thought was the right thing to do. Wives were expected by most of society to submit to their husbands. Some marriage contracts would stipulate that you need to have complete obedience to your husband. If you want to go and see your family, you need to get permission first. Otherwise, you're in hot water because you shouldn't do that. That kind of thing. So there's some serious stuff going on. Obviously, if you're in an actual loving relationship, things, as we all know, can be a bit different and can the rules can kind of bend a little bit but the way the contracts were laid out and that kind of thing there were some very um, rigid kind of rules and ways of living also playing into that you have kind of greco-roman culture which sadly valued girls a lot less than it valued boys and so oftentimes if a family would have a girl they would take a um kind of out and expose, expose her kind of on the rocks um, and and she would die. And it's a really sad reality of how culture was back then, but boys were much more valued than girls. One of the practical things that that led to was a shortage of women. So it was quite common for men to be older when they got married. So towards their, towards kind of age 30, and they would often marry a younger girl. So you might think of like an 18-year-old marrying a 30-year-old. Um, and you can see that there's there's kind of a, a different life stage going on in that, that kind of situation. It can be a little bit difficult, especially at those ages. Um, and so then the Greek men had a lot of life experience, and the girls were just kind of leaving home. And so they had engaged in all sorts of relationships outside of marriage. And then for many of them, marriage was not kind of this exclusive thing. Marriage was this thing that gave them heirs. Marriage was this thing that that um, that gave them status and, and, and kind of position in society. But they were free to go off and do what they wanted with other women or other men or whatever they wanted kind of thing. They They were not really in it for love and exclusivity. So the husbands being called to love their wives was, I think, a kingdom cultural thing from Paul to say. Because 
we read in the New Testament, don't we, that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So if that's how God demonstrates love, what does it mean for us men that we are called to love our wives? And what is that principle that we can carry over to how we have love for one another? This idea of putting aside yourself, laying aside your own life and who you are and what you want to do and your own desires and sacrificing that for someone else is a really countercultural thing to do. And it's what I like to refer to as kingdom culture. See, for the wives, they were called to live now, to submit in the context of the world. But Paul said, it is fitting in the Lord. There's a not yet aspect to it. The not yet aspect is because of Jesus. So submit because of Jesus. In the same way, husbands are called to love and not be harsh, which is entirely kingdom culture. It's entirely a not yet thing that witnesses to the kingdom of God within the tension of this age live not like all the other people, not like all the other Greek men kind of going around doing what they want to do, having a wife because it's a kind of thing that you're supposed to have and it gives you heirs and all that kind of stuff, but actually loving and sacrificing and doing things for their wife. See, that's living as a witness to the kingdom of God in the tension of this age. The second one was children and parents. Now, we may not all have experience of wives and husbands, but we all have experiences of being a child, I hope. If you don't, come and tell me your story later because that's really interesting. Um, it says, children, obey your parents in everything. In other words, live now. Live in the culture of now. But also live as a not yet person. It says, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. There's a reason that we do it. Jesus is the reason that we do it. Not just because it's cultural, not just because it's the way things should be, but we're doing it for God. We're doing it for the Lord. And then to parents or fathers, as it says in the Greek, is to not wind up or provoke. Don't embitter your children, but they will become discouraged. In other words, we're called to be kingdom cultural in those that we're parenting. We're called to lead children. We're called to encourage rather than push and force. We're called to be able to say, follow me as I follow Christ, rather than do as I do, not what I, do as I say, not what I do. Follow me as I follow Christ. And the question in there is, who are your spiritual children? Who are those people who you are leading? Who are those people that God's put in a position in your life where you can speak into their lives? Because you may not have children that you are kind of um, bringing up at this stage. But we all have people that God's put in our lives and given us influence over. People who look up to us and think, oh, maybe one day I want to be like that person. 
or maybe one day um, I can be as far on in faith as that person is. So what are we saying to them? Are we saying, do as I say, not as I do? Or are we saying, follow me as I follow Christ? And the third one is slaves and masters. Again, slaves and masters is a, is a kind of weird thing that we don't really fully get in this day and age. And we kind of see the, the kind of the abhorrence of, of owning another person and, and the craziness of that. And we think, how could, like, is Paul condoning that? Is that okay? Um, all that sort of stuff. And, and we hear the horrors of like, um, how people used the biblical text to condone slavery and, and all the kind of the evils of that. But we look into the context. We look into what, what Paul was saying in the first century. You see, there wasn't really, there wasn't really a, a mindset that understood what it would be like to not have slavery. There wasn't a move to say, slavery is really bad, we shouldn't have it. There was an acceptance of this is how things are, right? This is the culture. This is the world that we live in. There is slavery, and that's that. And there wasn't that, this kind of looking at how can we get rid of it. You you would get slaves who were freed, became free persons, and if they managed to accumulate enough wealth, they'd buy slaves for themselves. You think, well, how could how could they do that? It just seems like the strangest thing. Like, they've experienced the harshness and the things that could go on, yet they've gone and bought their own. But it's almost like this, this is so embedded within the culture that Paul standing up and against it and saying, just don't have slaves, wouldn't have solved the problem. Because you can't simply just say, don't do it, and expect no one to do it. In the same way, you know, we have the, the kind of, um, there's been a bit of stuff in the news about nuclear kind of war issues. We've not got a nuclear war, which is good. Um, but, you know, this idea that North Korea's kind of developing nuclear warheads and all that kind of stuff. And, and we've, we've got talk about should we renew our deterrent or should we not and all this. And the difficulty is, is I think people generally agree that nuclear war would be a really bad move. But they also agree that if we have those weapons, we're not going to get attacked because we could attack them back. So there's this kind of tension that it would be a bad thing, but there's no real other, there's no other way out. And finding that way out is very difficult. You've got to kind of get this agreement. So for Paul, he's kind of in that tension of saying there's no other real kind of way out of this. I can't just say to everyone, just don't have slaves. That doesn't really help the slaves. It doesn't really help the masters. Now, it would be ideal, but it doesn't help in that situation. So we've got to remember we're in that context. And so if you, if you were to flick over to the book of Philemon, Paul is talking to a guy who owned a slave, Onesimus. And Onesimus had run away and, and was with Paul and, and Paul was like, you need to treat him as a brother. You need to free him because he's your brother in Christ. Or in other places, Paul would say, 
There's no longer slave and free. We're all one in Christ Jesus. So he had this, he had this kind of ideal, but he also knew that he had to speak into a context where this stuff was going on. And he had to say, how do you live now in the tension of what we have now whilst anticipating what is to come? And so he gave some instructions. He said to the slaves, live now, obey in everything. But he said, do it in the not yet. Do it because of Jesus. He said, don't just do it when they're when they're looking at you and when they're, you know, expecting you to do things. Because they, the masters, the slave owners, they had this kind of um, talk that the slaves were lazy and they were good for nothing and all this kind of stuff. And, and so they'd abuse them as well and they'd, they'd beat them and, you know, they'd do all sorts and um, all sorts of stuff that's too unsavory really to, to go into great detail about. But... Um, They'd have this thought that they don't, they only really work when we're checking up on them. They only really do something when we, we're checking up on them. But Paul said, don't just do it to curry favor. Don't just do it because they expect you when you're, when they're looking, but do it at all times as if you're working for the Lord. In other words, live in the tension of how you have to live now in anticipation of the not yet in anticipation of the not yet because of Jesus, because he is the reason that you're doing this. And for the masters, he said, live kingdom culturally. Do what's right and fair because of Jesus. It wasn't expected that that the slaves would be treated as humans. They were treated as commodities. They were treated as something that we own, something that we have, that can be done away with. They didn't have the rights of a, of a fair trial or anything like that. You know, if you decided that your slave had done something, then your slave had done something, and that was the end of that slave. Um, financially, they didn't really want to do away with their slaves too often because it cost them a lot of money. But aside from that, there was no real protection. But the masses are called to live kingdom culturally do what's right and fair because of jesus so we are called to live now and not yet i want to read kind of the the couple of verses that really struck out to me stuck out to me when i was preparing this says listen to this whatever you do work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It's the Lord Christ you are serving. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. In other words, live now in anticipation of the not yet. See, Paul's telling us in a very practical way, how do we live in this in-between time? How do we live in a reality that's not the fully consummated, fully revealed kingdom of God? It's not the new Jerusalem coming out of heaven. It's not the streets paved with gold. It's not the no need for um, sun or moon because we've got the presence of God with us and all that kind of stuff. It's not that yet. 
We're not there yet. But we need to live now as witnesses to that's to kind of that's where we're going. It's like, hey everyone, there's a better way. Hey everyone, this is where we're going. So how can we live in that? How can we live in that? Paul gives us some instructions that contextually perfect. They fit so well for the for the kind of the issues that were going on in the day. So now we've gone back there. Now we've kind of discovered what was going on in the context. Now we've kind of journeyed back to the first century. How can we apply that in our lives? How can I live now in this tension, but live in a way that anticipates where God's taking us, that anticipates what God's doing, that anticipates that the kingdom of God is at hand, that anticipates that God is on the throne? That's the question. And that's going to be unique to each one of our situations. That's going to be unique to each one of our lives. But that's where we, we remember that, as, as the phrase from Gladiator this, that sticks in my head is, what we do in life echoes in eternity. We live as witnesses. We live as witnesses to the world that God's changed. And we shouldn't be surprised if the way that we live makes it look like he's changed something. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast at Centre Church. One church, passionately loving God and people in Burgess Hill and Brighton. To get the latest news or for any other information, check out our website at www.centrechurch.uk.